Good morning. It's Thursday. The nation's auto industry bracing for a historic strike. Yeah, with just hours to go, no deal in sight. Good morning. It's September 14th. This is today. Hitting the brakes, tens of thousands of United Auto Workers set for a walkout against Detroit's big three. We are preparing to strike these companies in a way they've never seen before. The midnight deadline fast approaching, the potential impact set to be felt at dealerships and even repair shops across the country. A live report from Detroit straight ahead. Here it comes, Hurricane Lee on the move. Watches and warnings now stretching from New York to Maine. Millions on the East Coast to be impacted by strong winds and heavy rain. Al's got new information on the storm's track and timing. Captured. Our nightmare is finally over. We're learning more about the dramatic end to that nearly two-week manhunt in Pennsylvania. This morning, how the escaped murderer was finally tracked down, the hero police dog who helped collar him, and the controversy over this group photo. Dozens of officers posing with the nab fugitive. The official who led that manhunt is joining us live. Stranded, crews scrambling to reach the luxury cruise ship that ran aground in Greenland four days ago. Hundreds of passengers waiting to be rescued. We'll have the very latest. Alligator scare. <gasps> Look how big it is. The frightening moment a massive gator charges a group of Girl Scouts in Texas inside their frantic scramble to safety. All that plus completely heartbroken. Aaron Rodgers breaks his silence in the wake of the injury that has ended his season. Holy cow, I cannot believe this. And reignited the debate over artificial turf, why the players union wants it removed from all stadiums. Today, Thursday, September 14th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Cuppy. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Good morning. Welcome to today. It's a Thursday morning. Glad you're with us. Two hour north. They're getting ready to face the rain, winds, and possible storm surge from Hurricane Lee. Here's a live look. This is Boston, one of the areas under a storm watch this morning. Calm now, but what's coming? Al's full forecast in a moment. But let us start with our top story, that looming deadline. The nation's auto industry bracing for a possible strike. It's set to begin at midnight. The United Auto Workers uh, saying without a deal, it's roughly 150,000 members are ready to walk out at Detroit's biggest car makers. NBC's Jesse Kirsch is in the Motor City with us. Jesse, what's the latest you know? Hoda, good morning. We are now inside of 18 hours to the deadline. The auto industry here in Detroit getting a lot of attention and arguably little of it has to do with the shiny new cars behind me here at the Detroit Auto Show. Right now, the UAW and the big three automakers here in Motor City still do not have agreements. And if there are not deals before midnight, it is expected the UAW will strike against all three. The union says this will be the first time in history they have struck against all three of the big three automakers. This has implications for tens of thousands of jobs, but it also means if you're trying to buy a new car or get your current ride fixed, things could get more complicated. In Motor City and beyond this morning, the drumbeat of a potential United Auto Workers strike is growing louder and the clock is quickly running out. We're willing to do what's necessary to win justice by any means necessary. 
The UAW's demands for Detroit's big three automakers include a 46 percent pay raise compounded over four years. But according to the union, GM, Ford and Stellantis are only offering between 17 and 20 percent raises over four and a half years. Mighty, mighty union. And without new deals before midnight, the union says workers will walk off the job at all three companies. You prepare to go on strike? Absolutely. What do we got to do, you know, to, to, to protect me, to protect my job, to protect my future? Already, the union collecting donated food and toiletries, a reminder that if they go on strike, some workers may struggle to even pay for the basic things we all need at home. But instead of having all of its roughly 146,000 big three workers walk out at once, the union is planning to only strike at specific facilities. The impact could be just as great as if you shut down the entire company. Because if there are no engines, no transmissions, that essentially shuts down final assembly. In statements, Stellantis and GM both emphasizing good faith negotiations. Sure hard to negotiate a contract when there's no one to negotiate with. Ford's CEO and the UAW's president trading barbs, including over what Ford is offering for workers' pay. I, I don't know what to say other than we have put great offers in front of the UAW and we're waiting for the response. The looming strike could be tough for car buyers with the potential to limit choices on car lots nationwide. Repairs could get tricky, too. Well, Jesse, the day's young. There's still time to negotiate. Any chance that this thing will wrap up in time? Yeah, Hoda, at this point, GM and Stellantis are saying that there is good faith bargaining going on. You've got Ford saying its team has been sleeping at company headquarters to get the job done. But the union is accusing these companies of negotiating in bad faith and making insulting offers. And if a strike starts, it's not clear how long this could last. The union says its strike strategy will evolve. And we're not expecting all of the workers to be on strike. That means with fewer workers getting strike pay, the union's money could last longer, and that could drag out a strike. Hoda? All right, Jesse Kirsch for us there in Detroit. Jesse, thank you. We move now to the storm we've been tracking all week long, Hurricane Lee. It is moving north. Watches and warnings have already been issued now for parts of New England. Al is tracking it all for us. He's on the road this morning in Washington. Hi, Al. Good morning. Hey, guys, good morning and good morning to you. Here's the latest on Lee from the National Hurricane Center. Category 2 storm. It's 295 miles southwest of Bermuda, 100-mile-per-hour winds. It's moving north at 9 miles per hour, so it's starting to pick up uh, some forward motion. Now, we have tropical storm watches from Watch Hill, Rhode Island, all the way to Portland, Maine, and hurricane watches from Portland to Eastport. First time they've had watches like this in 15 years. Now, the coastal impacts as the storm makes its way during up to the north on Friday. We're going to be looking at high surf, dangerous rip currents as, as we move into Sunday morning, makes landfall somewhere between Bar Harbor and Halifax. But the tropical force winds are what we're most worried about, extending out some 300 miles to the west of the track. So here are the impacts we're looking at. The winds strongest along the coast. Montauk, 40 mile per hour wind gusts. Boston, 47. Bar Harbor, 61 mile per hour wind, power, uh, wind gusts. Storm surge, two to four feet is going to be the worst around Plymouth to Chatham. Dangerous uh, surf and 
rip currents, life-threatening flooding, possibly with that storm surge, high tides in Chatham, 123 in the morning, 142 in the afternoon, and of course, flooding rains, heaviest rain right along the coast, especially up through down east Maine with some totals up to five inches, guys. So we're going to continue to monitor this as this situation develops. All right. Guys. We'll check back with you for the full forecast. Thank you. All right. Let's move now to the capture of escaped inmate Danilo Cavalcante unfolding while we were on the air yesterday. The nearly two-week-long manhunt coming to a close after police, using thermal imaging, picked up a heat source in the Pennsylvania woods about 30 miles from where the prison was. In a moment, we will talk to the governor of Pennsylvania along with the commissioner of the Pennsylvania State Police. But first, NBC's George Solis has been covering the story for us since the beginning. Hey, George, good morning. Hoda, good morning to you. Yeah, it all unfolded in dramatic fashion in these woods behind me. Now, the tactical teams forced to wait out a storm before they could make their move, and Cavalcante did not go down without a fight. But in the end, authorities managed to get their man. This morning, after nearly two weeks on the run, convicted killer Daniello Cavalcante is finally back in custody. Our nightmare is finally over, and the good guys won. Cavalcante managed to elude authorities for two weeks by slipping past perimeters, stealing a van, and even using a razor he found in a stolen bag to shave off his beard in an attempt to disguise his appearance. You know, I don't know that he was particularly skilled. He was desperate, and I've said that all along. And now we're learning how Cavalcante managed to stay one step ahead. U.S. Marshal Robert Clark was part of the task force tracking Cavalcante. Uh, he ate uh, a watermelon. He found a watermelon on a farm. Uh, early in uh, in his flight, he drank water from the stream. Authorities say they used the element of surprise to zero in on their target. Overnight, a DEA aircraft with thermal imaging picked up a heat source, but was forced to leave the area because of severe weather. Tactical teams eventually able to move in. Cavalcante did not realize he was surrounded until that had occurred. That did not stop him from trying to escape. When he tried to flee, a canine named Yoda by Customs and Border Protection took him down. Officers on the scene posing for this picture with a handcuffed Cavalcante. They're proud of their work. They're not doing anything to demean him or uh, uh, harm him in any way there. A chief Border Patrol agent posting additional photos online. Officers also recovering the rifle Cavalcante stole from a home earlier this week. Officials say Cavalcante planned to use the weapon to steal another vehicle. The family of Deborah Brandau, the ex-girlfriend Cavalcante was convicted of murdering, releasing a statement saying they're deeply grateful for the support and hard work by authorities. Also grateful, this community, once gripped with fear, now finally able to exhale. I am super relieved, super, super glad that it's over. And this morning, Cavalcante is waking up inside a maximum security prison in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. But where he will ultimately end up to finish carrying out that life sentence is still being decided. Savannah. George, thank you very much. And we're joined now by the governor of Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, and Colonel Christopher Paris, commissioner of the Pennsylvania State Police, which led this intense manhunt. Gentlemen, good morning to you. Morning. Good morning. Governor, I'll start with you. Obviously, a huge sigh of relief for the community, for the team of officers, an incredible effort there on the ground. Are you surprised, though, that it took 14 days for this man to be captured? Now, look, I'm incredibly proud of the Pennsylvania State Police, and I'm in 
incredibly grateful to the good people of Chester County who every single day remained vigilant, who worked hard to make sure that we were able to capture this suspect without incident. There was no loss of life. There was no threat in the community, thank God. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we found ourselves in a position of seeing the best of law enforcement, law enforcement at every level, state, local and federal coming together to apprehend this suspect, to capture him without incident. I'm proud of them. Colonel, it's been a long, long two weeks. What was the hardest moment for you and your team? When when did spirits dip the most? I don't know that the spirits actually dip. There are highs and lows in an investigation like this. The resolve was constantly there, not only within the ranks of the state police, but also with our federal and local partners. And we knew that he was desperate. We knew that he was looking or he was where we were looking and we needed to just press the incident through to its conclusion. And do you agree, Colonel, that he was getting ready to flee the country? Our concern always was the threat to public safety, and we're indebted to the people of Chester County. He had a weapon. It was a weapon that could have certainly hurt law enforcement, but more importantly than that, it could have hurt um, members of the public. So a desperate person on the run with nothing to lose, facing life without parole, that was our chief concern. Uh, we wanted to find him wherever we could. Colonel, how, how, what do you think about this photo op with some members of the team posing with the suspect moments after his capture? How does that sit with you? Is that appropriate? Thank you for the question. Uh, I believe that you have to put it in proper context that these tactical operators surrounded him and sat through a lightning and thunderstorm through the evening when we lost the aerial overwatch. And this was an individual who was crawling towards a weapon, which he stole. And the professional restraint that they showed and being able to take him uh, alive and in relatively uh, good health, we're very proud of that professionalism. Governor, how about you? Look, I, I'm proud of them and they're proud of their work. I think it's important that we acknowledge that for 14 days, law enforcement from every level left their homes, left their loved ones, and they put their lives at risk. So, man, I think it's important uh, for everybody to understand that the gun that Cavalcante had literally was capable of piercing the bulletproof vest that they were wearing. They put their lives at risk every day. Uh, they were proud of their work, and I'm incredibly proud of them. No question. It was an incredibly difficult and involved operation and not a single shot fired. Nobody hurt. That is incredible work there. Governor Shapiro, Colonel Paris, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. 14 minutes past the hour. We're bringing Craig to the table. Big news out of Washington. Savannah, good morning. Good morning to you as well. Big news indeed. Capping months of speculation about his future Republican Senator Mitt Romney says he will not seek re-election in 2024. And Romney specifically cited his age, 76, as one of the deciding factors. NBC's Capitol Hill correspondent Ryan Nobles joins us with the latest on this one. Ryan, good morning. Hey, Craig, good morning. And among the many reasons Mitt Romney's decided it's time for him to retire is a desire to hand over power to the next generation. And as he slowly steps away from public life, he's revealing plenty of details about what goes on behind the scenes in politics. On Capitol Hill, Senator Mitt Romney, known for breaking ranks with his party, says it's time to move on. Frankly, It's time for a new generation of leaders. The GOP nominee for president in 2012. I accept your nomination for president of the United States. 
Romney now doesn't recognize his party. The Republican Party today is, is in the shadow of Donald Trump. Uh, he is the leader of the greatest portion of the Republican Party. Uh, it's a populist, I believe, demagogue portion of the party. It's part of why he's decided to step away, frustrated by Trump's stranglehold on the GOP and a general lack of anyone willing to stand up to him, something he did repeatedly, voting twice to convict Trump in two different impeachment trials. I was among the senators who determined that what the president did was wrong, grievously wrong. He outlined that frustration to author McKay Coppins as part of an upcoming biography. In an excerpt released by The Atlantic, Coppins writes that Romney said in private meetings his colleagues ridiculed Trump's ignorance, rolled their eyes at his antics, and made incisive observations about his warped, toddler-like psyche. Romney made it clear he does not want Donald Trump to be president, but he also thinks President Biden should not run as well. According to the Coppins biography, Romney toyed with the idea of a third-party run for president where he would just say whatever he wanted— but decided against that because of a concern it would re-elect Trump. And with renewed questions over the age of the country's political leaders, fueled by the recent health scares experienced by his colleagues, Senators McConnell and Feinstein, by stepping aside at the age of 76, Romney is intentionally sending a message. I think it's time for guys like me to get out of the way and have people in the next generation step forward. His decision not to seek re-election sparked a round of well-wishes from his colleagues, both Republican and Democrat. He's a, a great American and uh, been an outstanding senator. I believe the Senate will be a lot worse for not having Mitt Romney here. He's been a voice of reason. And meanwhile, former President Trump did not take long to respond to Romney's announcement. He called it fantastic news and said Romney did not serve with distinction. Romney says he still plans to be involved in the political debate. But, Craig, he said he likely won't ever run for office again. Ryan, let's shift gears for a moment here. Some other news there in Washington overnight. President Biden making his first comments on the impeachment inquiry. What can you tell us about what we heard from the president? Yeah, that's right, Craig. The president himself has gone to great pains to ignore the plans of House Republicans to impeach him. But last night he told a group of donors that it's something he is not focused on. And he also blamed Republicans for using impeachment as a way to avoid talking about the pending budget battle. He said, quote, the best I can tell, they want to impeach me because they want to shut down the government. And while the president may not be focused on impeachment, his staff at the White House is. They've established a war room to combat the Republican charges. And House Democrats have also strategized ways to push back. Craig. Ryan Noble's force there in D.C. Ryan, thank you. Some terrifying moments for a Girl Scout troop in Texas. Children were swimming in a lake when suddenly an alligator appeared and started charging toward them. Take a look. Uh-huh. Maybe I can. Maybe I need to help. Maybe I need to help. <gasps> Look how big it is. Oh, terrifying. It happened last weekend at Huntsville State Park. That's north of Houston. Scout leaders and parents rushed into the water, pulled the kids to safety. Nobody was injured, thankfully. Officials closed that swimming area for the rest of the day. And the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is now considering removing that alligator from the lake. Seems terrifying. Like a good idea. Seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big gator, too. Yeah, that yeah. Was, uh, we got 19 minutes past the hour. Let's head up to D.C. Hey, Mr. Roker. 
Hey guys, good morning and let's look at the rest of our country. We are looking at beautiful weather from the Northeast right now, mid-Atlantic states into the Great Lakes. Gorgeous morning, plenty of sunshine, low humidity, heavy rain down in Texas. We're going to look at that coming up in the next half hour. Some showers and cool weather in the Rockies, beautiful out west, temperatures nice and seasonal, few uh, hot spots as you get into the Pacific Northwest. And that is your latest weather, guys. All right, Al, thank you so much. Coming up inside the race to reach and rescue hunt Hundreds of passengers on a luxury cruise ship that ran aground in the Arctic Circle. Kelly Kobiea is covering the story for us. Hi, Kelly. That ship, stuck in the mud off the remote coast of Greenland for four days, is floating again. A research ship coming to the rescue. We'll tell you about it. All right, we look forward to that, Kelly. Plus, more talk shows announcing their returns despite the rider strike, the pushback they're facing, and what it may mean for your favorite shows. The first, this is today on NBC. lie his way into their dreams. He was looking for James Bond girls. How fun would that be to be a Bond girl? Then twist them into a nightmare. This guy's done this before. He'll do it again. Until a group of women banded together to put him behind bars and keep him there. You have to participate fiercely, fiercely in what happens next. I'm Keith Morrison, and this is Murder in the Hollywood Hills, an all-new podcast from Dateline. All episodes of Murder in the Hollywood Hills are available now. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like... NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Thursday morning. But let us begin this half hour with a story that is being watched all around the world. It all started on Monday when a luxury cruise ship carrying more than 200 passengers and crew ran aground in Greenland. And just a short time ago, it was finally freed. NBC's Kelly Copiea joins us now with the very latest. Kelly, good morning. Craig, good morning. The cruise ship Ocean Explorer is 600 miles inside the Arctic Circle, so remote that a Danish military ship was still at least a day's sail away. So a research vessel tried once again this morning to pull the ship out of the mud, and it worked. This morning, the Danish cruise ship Ocean Explorer freed after being stuck for four days off the beautiful but frigid coast of Greenland with 206 passengers and crew on board. Among them, passengers Gina Hill and Stephen Fraser from Australia. Fraser telling the Sydney Morning Herald a research vessel helped to refloat the ship, saying they took our anchor out sideways, dragged it on the ground, adding they twisted the boat and lifted it off the ground, and then we floated free. 
The ship, on a luxury cruise to the Arctic, ran aground Monday during low tide. The crew reportedly dropping anchor and floating lifeboats to lighten the load, but the ship stayed wedged in the mud. Luckily, it's not a rock. That could have caused greater damage, this Navy commander says, adding, because it's on a soft bed, it's kind of stuck. On their website, Aurora says they offer life-changing expeditions to some of the most remote and unspoiled destinations on our planet. Passengers paying thousands for a stunning view of the glaciers in Northeast Greenland National Park, known for its spectacular icebergs. Overnight, the cruise company Aurora Expeditions, confirming three of the passengers have COVID-19, are in isolation, and are doing well. This morning, the ship floating again, but not yet on its way. Frazier told the Herald, we're just floating around, adding the ship now needs to be inspected for safety in the open ocean. The research vessel that came to the rescue tried pulling the ship out of the mud earlier in the week, finally succeeding with that creative maneuvering this morning. The company that owns the cruise ship confirmed the Ocean Explorer was refloated, saying that there have not been any injuries to any person on board, no pollution of the environment, and no breach of the hull, adding the vessel and its passengers will now be positioned to a port where the vessel's damages can be assessed and the passengers flown back home. And it was not the Arctic adventure that these passengers expected, guys. But the passengers all said to be in good spirits throughout their adventure. They will be heading straight back home. Craig, guys. Kelly Cobier. Kelly, keep us posted. Also this morning, NFL star Aaron Rodgers is speaking out for the first time about the stunning end to his season, just minutes into his first game as a New York Jet. The union that represents players is also weighing in and blaming the star's injury on that artificial turf at the stadium. NBC's Stephanie Goss with more on that. Mm. Steph, good morning. Hey, Savannah. Good morning. Aaron Rodgers is looking at surgery and months of rehab. While Jets fans are still trying to come to terms with his injury and their dashed hopes. In his first comment since being carted off the field Monday night, Rodgers says he is heartbroken but determined to come back. 48 hours after the stunning Achilles injury that knocked four-time NFL MVP Aaron Rodgers out of the game and ended his season, the 39-year-old superstar writing on Instagram, I'm completely heartbroken and moving through all of the emotions, but deeply touched and humbled by the support and love, adding, the night is darkest before the dawn and I shall rise yet again. Rodgers' injury shocked the sports world. Holy cow, I cannot believe this coming just four plays into the QB's debut with the New York Jets after a high-profile move to New York from Green Bay and a contract that includes a guaranteed $75 million. Despite Rodgers' promise of a comeback, Jets fans devastated, even though he may end up helping on the sidelines. He's as much a football coach as he is a player, and um, just having his presence, I think anybody would, would want that. The season-ending injury is reigniting controversy over turf. MetLife Stadium just installed a new artificial turf field this year. The NFL Players Association re-upping its call to put in grass in every NFL stadium. Moving all stadium fields to high-quality natural grass surfaces is the easiest decision the NFL can make, the union writes. The players overwhelmingly prefer it, and the data is clear that grass is simply safer than artificial turf. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell responding to the union's request on ESPN's first take. 
but we're looking, we have engineers to look at that. We'll look at the mechanism of injury on Aaron's injury. But unfortunately, we had, a, we had two ACL injuries. Mm -hmm. uh, and one was on grass and okay. one was on the turf. The Jets head coach pointing out that Rogers' injury may not be relevant to the debate. You know, if it was a non-contact injury, uh, I think I think that'd be something to, to discuss, obviously. But uh, it was, that was kind of a forcible, uh, I think that was trauma-induced. The debate over turf has been going on for a while. The union says there is data to show that there are more non-contact injuries on artificial surface. But the league argues that in recent years, that has actually not been the case. The Jets will be playing on turf again this weekend in Dallas against the Red Hot Cowboys, mm. who just shut out the Giants. You don't need to remind You us. had to mention yeah. that. Why, why did you not agree New York to fans be bracing for <laughs> another tough week. weekend? Yeah. Yes. All right, yeah. Steph. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. Still ahead, our live interview with the American Trap for nearly two weeks in one of the world's deepest caves. He'll tell us all about his ordeal and rescue on his road to recovery. First, though, Chloe's here with the very latest on the strikes that have brought Hollywood to a screeching halt and how some shows are actually now apparently getting around it. Mm -hmm. It is the big question on everyone's minds. When are your favorite shows and movies going to be coming back? And what is going on in the world of daytime talk? That's coming up next. Alpha One Niner, commence Wi-Fi device checklist. Laptops on. TVs streaming. Game console consoling. Smart thermostat set for cuddle time. Doorbell camera. Oh, my package is here. Fast, reliable, able to power tons of devices inside your home at once. All systems go, you are clear for takeoff. This is Xfinity Internet, Wi-Fi built to wow. And watch the short film, The Aviators, now playing at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Welcome back. This morning on In-Depth Today, the growing impact of those strikes in Hollywood. Yeah, the walkouts by writers and actors are impacting tens of thousands of jobs. And they're also taking a toll on the shows and movies that we'll be able to watch this fall. NBC's entertainment correspondent Chloe Milas joins us with more. Chloe, good morning. Chloe. Good morning. Well, look, there is no question that the strikes are wreaking havoc in Hollywood. Experts say it's costing the industry an estimated $3 billion. With little movement in negotiations, production on many blockbuster films have stopped. New episodes of your favorite TV shows indefinitely delayed. But now some talk shows are resuming production, raising new questions and some controversy. A big question in Hollywood, when will high-profile talk shows come back? Getting some answers this morning amid the ongoing writer and actor strikes. The first late-night show now returning. Bill Maher announcing overnight that, quote, real time is coming back. Unfortunately, sans writers are writing. Maher adding, the writers have important issues that I sympathize with and hope they are addressed to their satisfaction. But they are not the only people with issues, problems, and concerns. We're still writing things on cards. And many daytime talk shows are back in production. From The View, which never stopped production, to Drew Barrymore, Jennifer Hudson, and reportedly The Talk. All employ unionized writers, but during the strike, The View and Barrymore show have pledged not to use WGA members, leading to backlash from the Writers Guild. The actors' union SAG-AFTRA says Barrymore is free to host her show. The actress herself posting, I own this choice, and that she's in compliance with strike rules. With no sign of resolution to the strikes, you, the viewer, will also pay a price this fall, with many of your favorite TV shows and movies missing in action. Dozens of productions have been shuttered, like highly anticipated movie sequels to Mission Impossible, 
Deadpool, and Gladiator. Their release is pushed to next year at the earliest. On the TV side, new seasons of popular shows like Stranger Things, Emily in Paris, Abbott Elementary, and Yellowstone now delayed for months. Production on the Game of Thrones prequel has been shut down. It was back in May that WGA writers walked off the job, followed by SAG-AFTRA actors in July. After talks collapsed with the AMPTP, the group representing major studios, including NBC Universal's parent company Comcast. The battle here over wage increases, residuals in the streaming era, and the use of artificial intelligence. SAG-AFTRA President Fran Drescher pledging to stay the course. Do not give up because this is the moment that is going to change the future. With so many unscripted shows postponed, insiders say expect lots of reruns and reality TV to take their place. That's what happened in the last writer's strike 16 years ago, when hit reality franchises like NBC's Two Hour Biggest Loser and CBS's Amazing Race were born, dominating the ratings and revolutionizing what we watch forever. Bill Maher added in that statement that despite his assistance, the rest of his staff is, quote, struggling mightily, and he didn't want them to lose out on any more work. And as for other talk shows using WGA members during the strike, CBS declined to comment about the talk, and CW did not respond to our request for comment. Chloe, you've been on the phone with sources kind of on both sides of this thing. Does it look like there might be a resolution at some point? In order for there to be a resolution, people have to be talking. There are no negotiations happening right now. Mm -hmm. We know that SAG, that represents over 100,000 actors in that union, they've never even had a negotiation with the AMPTP that represents the studios. How is that even possible? Mm -hmm. How can you come to the table and move forward if you're not actively talking? We know that the Writers Guild turned down the studio's offer in August. We know that some members of the studios, including Ted Sarandos, met with members of the Writers Guild, but there were no lawyers present Mm -hmm. when that took place place at a hotel on August 22nd. We have all of this in a really great report on NBCnews.com, but it is very unfortunate. People can't pay their bills. Mm-hmm. People are losing their homes. People are dipping into their savings yeah. and don't have any money left. Mm. And so how long is this going to go on? It goes far worse than us having to rewatch some of our favorite shows. Mm-hmm. This is deeply affecting people's mm-hmm. lives. And, you know, I think the ramifications are going to be far far-reaching. Yeah, got to come to a conclusion at some point. Got to at least talk and try. It's pretty disturbing. All right, thank you, Chloe. Chloe. Mm -hmm. Let's get another check of the weather. Mr. Roker is down in Washington this morning. Hey, Al. And let's not even not talk about all the craftspeople and all the other ripple effects Mm -hmm. that it really impacts. It's really, really horrible stuff. Let's take a look right now what's going down in Texas, and we've got a lot of wet weather stretching. And the reason for this is the big area of high pressure pumping up this plume of moisture into Texas along a stationary front. So it's going to be dumping tons and tons of rain. We're talking some areas picking up one to three inches of rain with these hourly rainfall rates where especially Abilene, San Angelo, Waco, uh, upwards of three inches of rain or more. And that's going to cause some possible flooding. But of course, they've got a drought situation there. So they need the rain, just not all at once. And that's your latest weather, guys. All right, Al. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Overnight, we got some new music from Insane. Wow. I'll tell wow. you what you need to know about that on Popstart. And that's coming up in just a little bit. Oh!